Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. CHGO Bulls Podcast, HQ Edition, with me, Will Gottlieb, and my friend from down under, Mark K, at MK Hoops on Twitter. I'm at Will underscore Gottlieb on Twitter, and thank you, as always, to our boy in the background who we're so glad to have back with us, Joey, the goat, Spathis. Uh, Mark, what's going on, man? How you doing? The boy in the background. That's a new name. The boy name. in the background. Joseph. We've got, we got Colin calling in the comments here. Suggesting that we need to uh, give Joey a solid nickname. Well, we just might have one from the top. The boy in the background. The boy in the background. Uh, also, for for those of you who recall and followed us since our days in uh, Paris, Joey is the king of nicknames. Joey has more nicknames than every single other person at CHGO combined. Um, so we'll have to whip some of those back out. It's been we, – we miss you, Joey. We miss you. Miss you guys too. Happy to be back. Still haven't seen um, the go. Still haven't seen the go. I know. Next week, he keeps remo- he keeps removing himself. I'll be back in the studio on Monday. I've been on vacation, but I had to get back into the swing of things for this uh, Friday HQ edition because Mark, we have spent years of our lives talking negatively about this Bulls team, being doomers and pessimists and negative Nancys, and today, it being the first of September. There being very little news out there to talk about, I thought it would be a fun exercise to try to come up with ways. And I think I've come up with some good ones, but to try to legitimately come up with ways that we can be excited about the season, reasons that we could see the Bulls doing a lot better, uh, just to kind of you know stretch some of those muscles. And I think I think I had a pretty good time preparing for this. I, I think there's some definite reasons for optimism. Uh, did you when you were just kind of like? planning for this did you have a a good time were you struggling through it what was your experience like um (laughs) all right so let's start the show (laughs) look it was I, i i have a hard time being overly optimistic i like to think i'm realistic people think i am a doomer in saying so so i guess it's a matter of opinions but yeah, I always have a t- hard time going too high, too low. I try to keep it as even keeled as possible. So I, it was difficult for me to come up with reasons. Now I say that, but I do think there is a a silver lining, a somewhat uh, achievable silver lining, which I think would be potentially a really good outcome. Now maybe depending if you are truly a C Red fan, maybe you're maybe that's your optimal or most likely outcome. Maybe if you're a complete doomer, you don't think there's any chance of this happening at all. But I think there is a chance the Bulls could be a good team this season. Um, and we'll we'll dive into all those reasons over, over the, the next hour or so. But I, I guess it's just a matter of semantics, a matter of definitions as to what one considers a really good, decent, bad type thing. So maybe that's the issue 
from the jump that maybe we all have differing opinions of what uh, success is, particularly if you are championship or bust. I was trying to find, William, in the background, um, some stats that I had sent you previously <laughs> about maybe why we've been doomers over the last 5, 10, 20 years, given that the Bulls have a losing record over the last 20 years, I think it is. I don't have the stats in front of me. I was just trying to find it. I bit. think they have like a 45% win percentage over the last 25 years since Michael Jordan retired, which yeah. roughly translates to like a 38-win oh, team. Yeah. And just some, just to give people some background and you know take people behind the scenes, I remember... D, I, D, I sent a DM to Will on the August 16th at 1.47 a.m. his time, or my time, no, his time. I said, Bulls regular season winning percentage over the last 25 years, 45.4%. Last 20 years, 50%. Last 15 years, 51%. Last 10 years, 46%. Last five years, 42%. That's why we've been kind of doomers over the last five to 10 years. So I think it's somewhat justified, but nonetheless... We're going to be seeing red. We're going to be positive dorks on this podcast. And I think there are some, some reasons to be positive about this bull squad. I think so too. And I think we can start with the offseason additions of Javon Carter and Tori Craig, both of whom we've talked about quite a bit on the show, but I don't know. Um, you know, it's hard to really dive into it until we see it on the court, until we see what those guys can do together. But to me, um, like just adding more veterans who play in key roles is going to go a long way. We saw the proof of concept with this team when Lonzo was playing and you had him out there with Caruso and Zach Damar Vooch and they played really well. You saw the lineups with Io and Patrick out there with those three and it didn't go so well, but then you saw uh, Caruso and Patrick Beverly back out there and the results were good again. So I think just there, I mean, we kind of like dog, uh, Eversley and AK for like touting this 14 and nine record to finish the yeah. year when they still lost in the play and didn't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think that's justified, but at the same yep. time, you can also look at the results that we've seen when you put like legitimate rotation veterans who know how to play, who know where to be defensively, who can keep the ball moving and shoot the ball and defend at a decently high enough level around those guys. And they make them look a lot better. So it's one of those situations for me where like last year, I think they played just so far below the sum of their parts. Like they're, they've got some talented guys on their team. There's no reason they should have been the 10th seed or even down to the 12th seed with like, you know, a month left in the season. They're better than that. And I think that Craig and Carter with the three-point shooting uh, that we've talked about a little bit in the past, like don't necessarily think it's going to really markedly change them from like the 29th, you know, three-point shooting team to the 10th or 15th, but it will probably get them out of the absolute bottom of the barrel. And for a team that finished like 15th in offense last year after the all-star break, like that would go a long way. So I I do think those guys will really help. And I'm excited to see what those lineups look like, but just in general, having veterans who know how to play, who can defend at a high level, who can shoot and who can keep the ball moving. um, That goes a long way. And then you talk about like the depth and how you push some of those younger guys who aren't quite as win now ready down in the rotation. Completely agree. Completely agree. And in years past where maybe I've been uh, Alonzo skeptic in the sense that I've thought maybe he got a little bit too much praise for what he was doing, not to suggest that he was a bad player or he wasn't good or anything like that. Let's make that very clear. I obviously recognize that Lonzo's an extremely good high-level role guy. But some of it to me comes back to to what you just said there. Like 
this team just having the necessary depth, the right type of player next to the mid three. I think we've seen that proof of concept. So to your point, even though we trashed AK for really buying into a 23-game sample, I think there's some credence to it. Maybe not for that five-man unit to finish the season. Like I'm glad that they didn't necessarily bring it back in the same form. I don't know if you could necessarily start Patrick Beverly for an entire season and expect the results to carry a 23-game sample to carry over 82 games. But that proof of concept where you have two dogged defensive guys that can play both sides of the ball next to Vooch, Zach, and DeMar. Like, we've kind of got enough evidence now to know that that kind of works. I think we've got enough evidence to know as well that that three-man combination of Vooch, uh, DeMar, and Zach is not good enough to propel a five-man unit or at least, you know, push that five-man unit to, you know, levels where it needs to be. But we've seen enough to suggest that you can build functioning five-man units with those three. You just have to make sure that the two guys that are next to them fit them perfectly, which I think Javon Carter, Alex Caruso, and Tory Craig do. Um, to be uh, to be seen or TBD for Pat, I think he can also enter into that conversation as well. But we've had lineups where you've had, you know, well, let's go back to last season. Beverly and Caruso, those lineups with those three, very, very good. Caruso and Patrick Williams with those lineups, very, very good. So we, we obviously knew the Caruso-Lonzo lineup with those three was just ridiculously good. So to your point there around understanding how to build around these three, I think I think we've got a fairly solid footing on around that. Now it's just a, can you keep those two guys next to those three players healthy and with them? for the entire season and not have to rely on Io and Pat to start next to those three. Because as I said before, I don't feel confident that Zach, Damar and Vooch can lift up a five-man unit. But if you put the the right two guys next to them, I think they can be a good functioning five-man unit. And I think that's that's the goal here. I mean, Mark Eversley even said it recently. Um, I can't remember whose podcast appearance it was on, but he's like, you know, we're not going to win championship year. It's like pretty unlikely. We're not positioned to do that, but we are positioned to be a lot better. And to your point with the Patrick Beverly and Alistair lineups last year in those lineups, uh, plus 13.7 net rating. So just outstanding with those guys on the floor together. And I think it speaks exactly to what you're talking about, which is, you know, complimenting and helping to lift up the stars. They're not in a situation where like the stars are carrying the show and maybe they should be because of how much they paid to get Vooch and how much, uh, you know, how much draft capital they sent out and all this stuff. But the fact of the matter is, this is the hand that they're they're dealt and they're dealing with it. And I think uh, the front office did a good enough job this summer to adjust to that and sort of try their best to to make lemonade out of lemons here with the the big three. And so that brings me to another point. Um, Jake Fisher wrote this weekend, or actually during this week. I'm losing track of days because I've just been on vacation, so everything feels like the weekend for me. I think it was yesterday or two days ago. He wrote a story ahead of. Uh, Serbia or Montenegro's game with the United States uh, Mm -hmm. sitting down with Vooch. And, you know, one of the things that Vooch said in this article, and I'll just read you the quote here was that, you know, he's been used a lot differently. We've kind of like talked about this in passing. um, But I do think it sort of affected the way that he plays, that he operates and the level of production he's able to give you. So he said, quote, it's not the same situation I had in Orlando. I'm not used the same way. I'm not uh, playing the same way. Although I felt this year was one of my best ever scoring wise. No, but I'm taking five, six shots less than I did in Orlando. It's different strengths. It's made me a better overall player for sure. And helped me mature 
be able to adapt better playing with different types of players in a different system. Um, I, I think from the outside looking in, it's kind of easy to criticize Vooch and just say like, well, you should still be able to like shoot 40% on threes if that's what you're doing before. Like that, your jump shot should not change. Um, but I do think like the way he's getting his touches, the amount he's getting his touches, uh, you know, that has an effect on the mentality of a player when, you know, the ball's coming to him a lot less frequently when there's a lot less margin for error. It's tough. And I think that that changes a lot of things. Um, this is where this like element of continuity comes in. And again, something that we've kind of criticized the Bulls front office for, but it's probably a situation where as Vooch kind of grows into this role, he knows how to play it better. And so I think for him, especially signing a new contract with this team, right? Obviously the Bulls gave him more money than probably anybody else was going to give him, but to come back, it wasn't all money, right? There were other considerations for him. It was how much does he enjoy Chicago? How much does his family enjoy Chicago? Did they want to move and start over? And do the Bulls have something to offer him in terms of play style that can sort of adjust and hopefully make the team better? As we've talked about a lot on this podcast, the ball moving through Vooch is a good thing for the Bulls. And I wonder if, you know, there was the whole randomness thing last year. I wonder if there's going to be more attention and effort and intention to get the ball through Vooch and for that to be able to help the offense. I'm not sure. We'll just have to see. But that was another thought I had just in terms of like the way that on the floor, the Bulls can sort of uh, lift up the the level that they were playing at. I'm always skeptical about that, like the play style thing, because I think so much of your play style, even if you try to implement something different, is governed by just the general ethos or characteristics and DNAs of your lead guys. And Demar is who Demar is. Zach is who De- who who Zach is. And those two being on ball guys will always be the primary options. And based on their skill set and how they like to play basketball, ultimately that will govern a large chunk of how you play basketball, which I know people will say Billy needs to get that out of them and make them change and do all this sort of stuff. But Zach's in year 10, Demar's in year 15. They are who they are at this point and you, and you kind of got to accept it. So f- that, that impacts Vooch from, you know, from if, if what I'm saying is true and then they can't necessarily change who they are or don't want to change who they are. I don't know the answer to that, but it is what it is. The results are what they are in terms of their play style. But that impacts Vooch from a volume standpoint, from a play style standpoint. So from that point of view, Vooch has had to adjust more than anyone else and he's done a really good job of doing so. Um, but I wonder, William, like if part of the reason Vooch came back was because this was an opportunity for him where he would probably, even though he's made like the third option on this team, I feel like he's the most important player on this team or the most irreplaceable player on this team. And I don't think that would have been true for Vooch in another scenario. Now, I'm not suggesting that Vooch is the best player on this team or the best per minute player on this team because he's not. But based on how the Bulls have structured this team where they've effectively only got two centers on the roster, at least on the, you know, the big boy team, if Vooch were to miss, you know, 15, 20, 30 games, we all banged on about the fact that he played all 82 uh, last season. Maybe he does something similar to that again or plays something closer to his career average, which is around 70-ish games. But in the event that he were to miss 15, 20, 25 games, then I know we're talking C-Red here, we're being optimists, but that I think would dramatically change the scope of the Bulls season because they just don't have that depth at center. Whereas if you lose Zach for a 10 or 15 game period or DeMar for a 10 or 15 game period, I think they're more equipped to sustain that 
you know, injury or that loss for that period of time. Whereas if you lose Vooch for 15-ish games, let's say, yeah, okay, Drummond will come in and do a solid job for 20-ish minutes, but then what do you do behind Drummond? So it's an interesting one. I, I, like to me, I, Vooch from a volume or a play style point of view, probably not the most important guy, but from a depth standpoint, he certainly is in my opinion. Uh, so I wonder if that was a big part of the reason as to why he decided to come back and do this thing with Chicago again, given, like I said, he would be prioritized here or at least feel like an important piece here compared to somewhere else. Yeah, it's interesting. And obviously injuries are going to be an impact, have an impact on the team, regardless of which team we're talking about. And it's probably unreasonable to expect Vooch to play all 82 again. But I think that's where you can hope to have a little bit more flexibility with the Torrey Craig signing, with hopefully some development from Patrick Williams. Can we see some more small ball units where those two guys are power forward center? Um, and just spacing things out a little bit more and trying new things. I think they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to get creative and guys are going to have to step up. I mean, when opportunities present themselves, that's what you have to do. Um, and we'll see if Patrick is ready. I think the same is going to be true for Kobe and Io, Dale and Terry, um, any of these young guys who have an opportunity to step into minutes, they're going to have to step up. Um, but we talk and, and we'll get into it in, um, in a bit. The East is in an interesting spot right now. And, um, you know, the Bulls have an opportunity to sort of work their way up it, but that only works if you've got a, a solid core that you can count on, really good role players, and that your internal development is working and it's working well. And we haven't really seen that last part for the Bulls over the last couple of seasons. We've seen flashes of it, we've seen moments, but I think that has to be a priority. And at least the Bulls tried to do something to address that this summer, hiring Peter Patton to be the director of player development and as a shooting coach. So hopefully some of those younger guys can st- take a step forward and just in a third season, knowing how to play alongside Vooch, Zach and Damar can hopefully attempt to be a little bit better. Uh, but let's take a quick break here, Mark, as I tell our friends about Splash Sports. Splash Sports is a awesome fantasy website where CHGO is doing a weekly pick an NFL survivor contest for everyone to participate in, and it's for real money. Here's how you enter. You go to splashsports.com slash CHGO. The link will be in the description, and you can sign up by depositing $10. CHGO will have a weekly NFL Pick'em contest where the first prize is $2,700. Second place gets $1,800. Third place, $1,350. And all the way down to 10th place, people get prize money. We're also doing a survivor contest where the winner takes all $4,500, and we're going to be doing these all year, so make sure you keep that link handy. You can also try being your own commissioner if you're tired of running down, you know, your friends and family for payments. You can sign up to be a commissioner and earn money from the contest that you're already running with your friends and family. So head to splashsports.com slash CHGO to join. We'll have different contests coming out all year, and we are stoked to compete with you and against you in all of them. Be sure to click the link in our description below. Again, uh, splashsports.com slash chgo splashsports.com great website another great website allchgo.com but William even though those are two great websites I've got another one for you sunnyside.shop that is a great great website now friends if you are interested in the absolute home for judgment free cannabis shopping that's where you go whether you want to go to a shop in person or whether you want to jump online whatever you want to do Sunnyside is a place where all kinds of visitors are welcome to explore, discover, and purchase 
an absolute wide array of high-quality products. Sunnyside has literally got you covered with everything you could possibly need to elevate your football season, your baseball season, your upcoming basketball season. The World Cup is on right now. I'm a bit, I'm a little bit sad today. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. The Boomers lost to Slovenia last night, so I'm a bit sad. But do you know who's feeling good right now? Who's vibing? Who's elevating his summer? Luka Doncic, and I dare say he's he's getting those Sunnyside products in him and really helping him. You know, really read that pick and roll and just the way he was darting through Australia last night, just absolutely killing us. But uh, I, I <laughs> I'm off on a different tangent now. Do you know why? Because my, my mind's just elevated. I'm just thinking about all these different things, thinking about all these different concepts, thinking about life a little bit differently. And that's what Sunnyside can do for you, friends. Because of all their high-quality products that they have on hand, I suggest you head to sunnyside.shop, check them all out. And while you do that, use promo code CHGO25 because when you do, you will get 25% your total order. Whether you're a returning customer or a new customer, it doesn't matter. You can use that promo code. And uh, you'll get yourself 25%. It's not stackable with other promotions, but that doesn't matter, friends. Like I said, 25% off. Uh, you must be greater than 21 years of age, which I unfortunately am. William, I think you're close to 21. Joey definitely is under 21. I'm closer to but... 21 than you are. <laughs> that is definitely true. Um, so you have to be greater than 21 or an Illinois MedCard holder. But like I said, friends, sunnyside.shop, promo code CHGO25. Thank me later. Thank him later. Um, so being the stat-headed nerds that we are, I also wanted to pick out some some interesting statistical, maybe anomal- anomalies that you can look at to sort of convince yourself or, you know, talk yourself into the Bulls having uh, a more successful regular season. Obviously finished 40 and 42 last year, but one of the keys of the season was the clutch record. 15 and 23 in games that ended within five points in the final five minutes, 15 wins, 23 losses with a zero net rating. So zero net rating is typically indicative of a 500 record, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're telling me that the Bulls who had the 16th best net rating, very, very average, were eight games below 500 in those clutch scenarios. And then, so, so there in general is sort of an indicator that would tell you the Bulls could probably win some more close games last year, right? You had no calls in that Washington game where DeMar got fouled. It was on the two-minute report, and he didn't get a chance to hit free throws. That would have put him ahead. The Cleveland game, Karis LeVert fouled him. Same deal. Donovan Mitchell had the lane violation, which was in the two-minute report. They also lost on game winners from uh, Jalen Suggs, from Tyrese Halbert, from De'Aaron Fox, which Mark had the uh, privilege and honor of sitting courtside for. Um, so they suffered some pretty bad luck in the clutch department. And then you put that in contrast with 2022 when basically everything went right. They were 15, or I'm sorry, they were 25 and 16 in clutch games in the year 2022. Obviously, DeMar had the back-to-back game winners, but even aside from that, they were just absolutely dominant in those scenarios with a 15.3 net rating. How real, Mark, do you think this past season's clutch performance was in comparison to the year before? I don't think either are real. I think that's the truth of it. I think we lean on or say, yeah, we can get back to closer to 22. 23 was an aberration. But the reality is this Bulls team who struggles to be a positive net rating team over a 48-minute game, 48 game 
is not a plus 15 team in, you know, clutch situations. They're just not. Like, we know that about this team. Similarly, uh, uh, for the team that we saw last season, they shouldn't be a 15 and 23 team in the clutch. So I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. There's certain game winners that you can sort of live and accept or certain losses in the clutch situation that you can like live with and accept, like that De'Aaron Fox uh, shot that you referenced before, that three that he hit. Sometimes dudes are just going to make tough shots and you just got to live with it. But then there's games like the one where uh, Suggs hit that that uh, game-winning three against the Bulls <laughs> earlier in the season versus Orlando. Yeah, that's a, that's an unfortunate situation. You lose on the buzzer like that. But for me, like that Suggs game winner, whilst it's easy for us to say, oh, well, you flip that or he doesn't make that or he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, then the Bulls win that game, which is true. But also, what would the Bulls do to put themselves in that situation where they were almost losing or they lost a the game to Orlando on the buzzer like that? If you remember back to that game, they only got back into that game because Billy inserted Javante Green at, at, at halftime, whatever it was, or in the second half, and he sort of propelled that team to to get back in the game and for the most part of that game, the Bulls were actually getting their asses kicked by the Orlando Magic, which shouldn't be happening. Similarly, like the control what you can control element thing is always something I'll come back to. Like Vooch missed free throws that he shouldn't have missed in that game. Zach was complete ass in that game. That's the game where he got benched. So whilst we can sit here and say, you know, if Suggs misses that shot or whatever may happen, if it doesn't come down to the final possession, the Bulls win that game, which is true. What also happened in the previous 100 possessions? Like, that's what I'm more interested in. So, to come back to your point, there's certain things that, that were out of their control, like the, the no call in Washington, like the Donovan Mitchell lane violation, which if they're called differently, maybe things happen. But like again, I'm more interested in what happened over the course of the game. So, I'm not expecting something or that for them to replicate their 22 clutch record. I'm not expecting them to replicate their 2023 clutch record. But can they just be somewhere in the middle of that? If they are, then that should account for, you know, two, three, four, five wins, something like that. So we'll see. We'll see. But I'm not trying to bank on this too much because, one, I'm hoping they're not playing that many clutch games. But if they are, then I'm hoping they're they're doing what they need to do to control the game. Similarly, like against the Miami Heat, let's go back to the last game we saw the Bulls play. That was a terrible, terrible uh, execution from the team in those final closing minutes. Now... We can talk about the Bulls had, you know, should have beaten the Heat or that they were leading that game with three minutes to go, but then they crumbled in that final situation. So to me, like I said, I'm just more interested in their execution in those scenarios rather than trying to flip some results and thinking if this happens or that happens, then the record would be, you know, X or Y. 100% agree with you. Um, But I think that takes me back to the conversation that we had before, which is that they should be in a better position throughout each and every game just mm-hmm. by having Javon Carter and Tori Craig yeah. out there. So maybe they remove some of those situations where, you know, a lot of it is out of their control. Um, you know, DeMar had a couple of game winners last year. He had the Knicks one. Um, but you also had Ayodesumu have that put back. Was that last year or was that the year before? I'm pretty sure that, that was this past season. The um, against the Hawks when he had, yeah. yeah, John Collins like fell on him. Um, or he fell on top of John Collins. <laughs> uh, but then at the same time, AJ, Gr- AJ Griffin had, you know, that – yeah that game later. So these kind of mm-hmm. things happen, but mm-hmm. I think that this past season and the season before were, were anomalies on either end of the spectrum where, yeah. you know, over the course of those two seasons, your 15 wins last year and your 25 wins the year before is 40 total wins. Your 23 losses last year and your 16 losses the year before is 39 total wins. So you're probably going to end up around 500. And like you said, that's going to result in a couple more wins over the course of the season. 
And I think that takes me to my next point, which is that the Bulls point differential, which was plus 1.3, actually equates to roughly a 44.2 win season, according to Cleaning the Glass. They won 40 games. So they underperformed by 4.2 wins. I think that speaks a lot to the uh, clutch situation where they just underperform what their net rating suggests they should have done. So they underperformed by 4.2 total wins last year, which was 29th in the NBA. So only one team, the Pistons, had worse luck when it comes to how they actually com- performed compared to what their record actually ended up than the Bulls. And that was the Pistons, uh, who are obviously throwing games to try to get that first pick. So I think that's another scenario where, yeah, they probably don't win all of them, but it's maybe one or two extra wins that gets you a little bit closer to average. Plus, you know, you're in better situations throughout the course of most games because you have more depth and more veteran uh, understanding and execution and production throughout the course of a game. And then maybe those clutch situations push you back into, you know, the 42, 43 win range, which is probably enough to get you into that seven, eight, maybe even sixth range, uh, which is what I think the Bulls are are hoping to be this year. So um, just another sort of stat to to point out that the Bulls, I I don't want to say that they got like screwed by the refs or it's just because it's not that. It's just that they experienced some bad luck relative to what the stats suggest. And that's why we're not playing these games at a computer. These things happen in real life and anomalies happen. But the Bulls did suffer some bad luck in the same way that they suffered or not suffered, but they experienced a lot of good luck the year before where they actually had a negative net rating, but they won 46 games. So again, I think it's a scenario where you're probably going to find yourself somewhere in the middle. Maybe, you know, you bump that up one or two additional wins because of the depth, um, the bottom not falling out, the fact that they just don't, they won't, ideally they won't have to like scramble to replace Lonzo Ball and not know when he's going to come back and have to kind of fight their way through that. So these kind of things happens to all teams, as Damon says in the comments. Um, but it happened to the Bulls worse than most other teams in terms of record last year. And so hopefully they get themselves back just a few more extra wins, which, you know, maybe gets them out of that situation where they have to, you know, not blow a, a lead in the final three minutes to Miami in a playing game. Yeah. And look, on that net rating piece, the fact that the Bulls finished 1.3, I think you mentioned uh, on the season, so much of that was driven by what they did in the final 23 games. So over that final 23 games, the Bulls were third in net rating across the league. They had a 5.7, a plus 5.7 net rating through that 23 games. The previous 59 games, they were minus 0.3. So, so much of that bumping up of that number was driven by what they did in that final 23 games, which is interesting because there's various ways you can look at that. And again, this is something that we've debated on the show before. Like, do you put more emphasis on that first 59 games or do you go back to the final 23 games, the smaller sample where you had Patrick Beverly come in and you put more stock into that? Because again, coming back to our point before around that proof of concept where if you have two defensive guys next to Vooch, Damar and, and Zach, you can see a five-man unit functioning well. If you push guys down the rotation, you're no longer needing to rely so heavily on Io, on Patrick Williams because you've got some role guys in doing their thing next to these vets that boosts the rotation from that standpoint, which gives you a greater net, net rating. So similarly to the conversation about the clutch stats, whether, you know, should we be putting more stock into what they did in 22 versus 23? Like you, we're having the same conversation around the net rating piece, whereby for the first 59 games, it wasn't good. 
that Bills had a losing record. They had a negative net rating. But then over that final 23 games, when things you know systematically changed for the team, once, once you added Patrick Beverly, and the addition of Patrick Beverly probably was less about his talent and more so what it did for the rotation more generally and the fact that you could rely on, on an extra guy to actually come in and soak up and play decent minutes, that completely materially changed things. So... It's a you know we're being C red today I guess so coming back to what we're what we're talking about in terms of now that you've got Javon you've got Tory Craig you hope that uh, both Kobe and Pat take a step if if Caruso can stay healthy for sixty ish games you have that depth you have that ability to be maybe more of that team that you did see in that twenty three game sample rather than that first fifty nine so I know that's what AK and Eversley are banking on that final. 23 games and that's why they kept harping on about it in in their postseason presses and those sorts of things it's why they've continued building the way they have in the offseason and do didn't do a reset they didn't do a rebuild they brought everything back and they've tried to re-establish that proof of concept because they are putting all their faith in that final 23 game sample where the bulls were a good and functioning team had a positive net rating now i know there's going to be some doomers listening to this which i can understand as well saying no one gives a shit about basketball in March or April. Teams are tanking. Teams, winning teams like the Denver Nuggets aren't necessarily taking those end-of-season games seriously. So how much stock should you be putting into these numbers? Which, again, is fair. All of these arguments are fair. I don't think anyone's right or wrong. Uh, it, but ultimately, time will tell us to which one is proven right, assuming any of these can be proven right, given you know what happened last season is probably not necessarily as relevant as to what will happen this upcoming season. Yeah. And, you know, with the post all-star numbers, which obviously were very good, um, you you just have to hope that that's like more representative of who this Bulls team will be with yeah. Javon Carter and Torrey Craig, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they probably aren't going to be, I mean, they were first in defense, 15th in offense, and third in net rating after the all-star break. Mm-hmm. They were very good before the all-star break in defense. Yeah. They were seventh, but going up to first, I mean, that is a tremendous jump. Um, almost two points per 100 possessions. Um, that that matters a lot. Um, and then offensively, to go from 24th up to 15th, I mean, if they can be an average offense and a good defense, even if it's not the best, but like a top 10 defense, they're going to be a good team. They just are. Um, so I think you ha- you have to have some faith in that. Even if it's not going to be quite as good as it was at their best, I don't think it will be as bad as it was at their worst. And unfortunately, that period of their worst just happened to last for almost 60 games this year, um, kind of flipping the script on last year. And I think that's the other thing. We talked about it with the clutch. We talked about it with the defense, with the offense, with, you know, missing Lonzo in 22. It's like they just played things out at such extremes on both ends. I do think they just, by regression to the mean, find themselves at least a little bit closer to the middle. And if you factor in and bake in some, you know, improvements on the fringes with the roster – with player development, um, with hopefully, like, I don't even, I hesitate to even bring this up, but like, you know, hopefully the continuity thing does materialize in some way, like that, that all matters. And I think at the very least that puts you back in, in that middle range where they probably should be. And that's, you know, around 42, 43 wins. And I think that's, that's good enough for them to be able to get into the play in, hopefully the playoffs and be able to make some noise that way Um, you made made an interesting point there on them them having to play on the extremes and i think part of the reason why they need to find those extremes whatever that may be and emphasize that or put all their stock in that is because they don't necessarily have a top five or ten guy who you can just sort of rely on to 
take you over the edge, that that play itself being your extreme. Like the Nuggets can just give the ball to Jokic in some in, in half court sets. And you know just doing that is going to produce an elite offense. So that is an extreme in itself from that perspective. But from a ball standpoint, you've got very good players. You don't have that top line player. Yeah, ideally, you would like to just have everything be at an even killed level where you could maybe be 10th on offense, 10th on defense, you know, middle of the road and everything. And then hopefully that projects itself out to be a 45 win record or something like that. But that's not really how it works unfortunately so that's why i think the bulls need to really lean into some of these extremes that they can find because i think that's what can help them propel them up up the standings like they did last season like that over that final 23 games if they didn't find that defensive extreme then even though the offensive numbers were a little bit better in that you know post uh, all-star game sample if they weren't first in defense and remained something seventh or eighth in defense or something like that and didn't really push the envelope to be that top line defense, then I don't know. I don't even know if we're talking about a fourteen and nine record over the four, uh, final twenty three games. It's probably closer to five hundred. And at that point, you, you you might not even be in the plane in that situation. So, for this team, whilst I definitely agree that I would love things to just be even, consistent, be good on offense, be good on defense. Um, I don't necessarily think it's going to be elite at anything. Or like I, I would be happy to take that consistent road and, and trade in, be elite at something, but. I don't know how realistic that is. And if that's the case, then that com- that's where it comes back to coaching to sort of find out, all right, well, what can we expose? In 2022, it was about being that you know crazy type of defense when you were just getting in passing lanes, you were just absolutely jamming things up at the point of attack and you were creating so many turnovers and possessions in, in, in um, transition where that was fueling your offense from that standpoint. Like that, were, that was to the extreme end at that point. Now, last season, they, they changed up things and and got extreme on defense, let's say. But I think they kind of need to find those avenues where they can sort of close the gap, um, just just due to the tel- all the lack of talent they have in from a you know a top line standpoint. So I, I I definitely agree with you, but at the same time, I kind of wonder if they ultimately need to do something crazy and advanced or something or even gimmicky at times just to just to sustain themselves versus the competition. I think they kind of did that defensively. I mean, it wasn't like gimmicky, but I think they sold out on that end. Um, you know, they didn't offensive rebound at all. They got back on defense. They were a very good transition defense. Um, yeah. the, and they slowed the game down in a way that basically ensured that they would have a chance to get a stop. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a long way when you're playing that methodically. So yeah, hopefully they can do that again. But, you know, at the same time, you got you to gotta be as good as you were in that second half offensively. And that was only 15th. That's average. And I think with this core of Zach Tamar and Vooch, like that's, you know, not asking much, right? Like they should be that level. Um, and I think shot making is a big piece of that. They were, uh, you know, just 45 and a half effective field goal percent during the first half of the season, 56.2 effective field goal after all-star uh, same with true shooting. They jumped from 58.4 to 59.5. I think these things go a long way. And then I guess to me, one of these like non-tangible elements is sort of this belief in who you are as a team and what you can accomplish. Because I think when you have these just demoralizing losses in so many scenarios, and when you're entering the all-star break on a five-game losing streak, um, or I'm sorry, the trade deadline, and it just, it felt like there were so many times where they just defeated themselves Mm -hmm. and hopefully they're in a position like they were in the second half of last year where 
they're not beating themselves on a nightly basis. And that can not like earn them a couple of extra wins, but help them not beat themselves in a couple extra games. And maybe that the result is the same, but I think that distinction there of like not letting yourself lose games. um, I think that could matter too. Of course, that's not really something that statistically you could look at, Um, but just being in locker. I mean, you could tell there are games like that Hawks game at the end of the year where they had a chance to jump from, you know, I think they were ahead of the Raptors, right. And the Hawks were in front of them. They had a chance to get, that seed, that that eighth seed, which would yeah. have given them an, another chance to get into the play, uh, playoffs, and they just totally blew it. And I think that sort of element of them defeating themselves and just not believing that they could win these games, even though they were at a hot point in their season, like that really held them back. And um, yeah, I mean that cost them their season in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And coming back to what you talked about before, like Vooch kind of admitting that maybe this is the last go around for this team. I know Matt and Dave spoke about this yesterday. Um, But like if that is the mentality that this is our last chance type thing and we're seeing this team fold in certain situations because for whatever reason, maybe it's an execution thing, maybe it's just a simple leadership thing, whether you want to blame Billy for that, I would be more inclined to blame the on-court guys that have that complete control of things. We shouldn't be in a scenario a scenario where Patrick Beverly and Alex Caruso are your two uh, outward leaders, let's say. Um, and I guess that is a criticism of Vooch, Damar, and Zach. But ultimately, that's who they are as players. But you need your, I think you need your best guys to be that, to to not accept losing from that standpoint. So if things get hard, if, if we get into a situation whereby things aren't going well and you're not executing and you know this is your last go around, like does the team fold? Does it quit? Because to your point, we're seeing them kind of do that before in stakes which were maybe a little bit differently. But if we're saying this is their last go around or potentially their last go around, uh, then that's a different stake as well. Like does that materially change how they feel about things? I don't know. Obviously, time will tell. Um, but... We're seeing red today, William, so we're assuming that's going to change. Yeah, Um, and I want to get more into that, but first, let's take a quick break so I can tell you guys about Ray Chevy, because if you are in the market for a new or used vehicle, we've got some great news for you. Ray Chevy in Fox Lake has just joined the CHGO team. We were talking to our friends at Ray, and they have a pledge called the Ray Price Promise, and it's a guarantee that the price you see online is the price you pay when you get to the dealership. We found that in many cases, other dealers will raise the price on you when you come to the dealership, asking questions like, are you a recent college grad? Are you active in the military? Are you a farmer? And in most cases, if the answer is no, that's when they'll raise the price on you. Uh, That's not the case at Ray. The price you see online is the price you pay with no add-ons to the price ever. In fact, Ray will do everything possible to find additional savings, which may make the price even lower than what you see online. As one of the top-selling dealers in the Midwest, you'll always be able to shop one of Chicagoland's largest inventories and save big at Ray Chevy because they now have over 100 Chevy Trax models available starting at $21,495. Now, until September 30th, all buyers, all buyers, Mark, can qualify for 0% financing and make zero payments until 2024, plus put down no money. The best of all, no hidden fees with the Ray Price promise. Visit Ray Chevrolet in Fox Lake or rayshevrolet.com, serving the community since 1963. Find new roads. 
well, once it's done buying your new Chevrolet from Ray, you, you know, where you're heading, you're heading down a Circle K where you can be picking up your favorite road trip and snacks. You get the best deals in whatever they're absolutely got in their thriving stores. So friends, if you want to head over to Circle K, do so. We're excited to be joined by our partners here at Circle K. So there's plenty of them around. You just need to hop into your, your Chevrolet after you've bought it from Ray. Head down to Circle K and get yourself you know, a coffee, a beer, some snacks, whatever, whatever you need. There's locations all over the joint. So Circle K, I've got you hooked up. And even better, friends, if, you, um, if, you, if you're enjoying what, you, what you're getting from Circle K, they have a new free membership program where you can save 25% that's what 25 cents rather per gallon on your first five fill-ups um, and you can get uh, every six free purchase of selected Circle K products. That's sixth item, whether it's a pizza or whatever it might be, you're going to get that free just because our, our friends are Circle K. That, that's, how, that's how they roll. They've got you hooked up like, uh, like that. So if you want to join the inner circle for free by downloading the Circle K app today, you can get all that in your hands. Terms and conditions apply at participating locations. Visit circlek.com for details. So I want to talk more about that booch thing that you just brought up, but I want to save that for after this conversation that I want to have now, which is about the Eastern Conference landscape, because this yes. is something that AK has mentioned, that Mark Eversley has mentioned as being you know, this wide open landscape where the Bulls have a chance to beat anybody on any given night. And I think there's some truth to that, maybe not a lot of truth to it, but aside from, you know, a handful of teams, there's no one that's really going to be a world beater. So I went through and looked at all the win total projections from our friends at DraftKings. And I just wanted to like kind of go through some of these teams and just briefly hit on them. I'm sure we'll do like a in-depth Eastern conference division preview closer to the start of the season but just to kind of get a sense of where the Bulls fit in, um, I, I believe the Bulls are projected by DraftKings to win 37 and a half games. That would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, tied for ninth in the Eastern Conference. So outside of the, uh, the playoffs, inside the play-in, just barely with the Magic and the Raptors, a game behind them. But to me, it's like, it's Boston-Milwaukee at the top. You know, mm -hmm. obviously Miami did their thing last year in the playoffs, but they were a pretty mediocre regular season team and they've lost uh, Max Drews and Gabe Vincent without really replacing them whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So to me, it's it's Boston and Milwaukee at the top of the East. Boston projected 54 and a half. Milwaukee projected 52 and a half uh, as the one and two seed respectively. Questions about maybe some health, questions about, you know, maybe some team chemistry stuff. But for the most part, I, I think that's going to be chalk, right? Yeah, and look, I I don't want to put too much stock in AK's confidence around the fact that the East is wide open. I mean, even if it's wide open, you, you're not beating the Bucks or the Celtics. So, I mean, what does it ultimately really mean? But I think this is probably the biggest reason to be somewhat optimistic about this Bulls season. In addition to what we talked about before in terms of adding veterans, adding depth, meaning the rotation's just a little bit stronger. And if you have a legitimate 9 to 10 man rotation, that holds you in good stead in the regular season, maybe less so for the playoffs, assuming you don't have that, you know, top line guy, which the Bulls clearly don't. But we're a team that relies on its depth, like this Bulls team will have to do in the regular season. Like this is where it bears itself out in wins, particularly in the regular season, especially in a conference that doesn't have, 
you know, a bunch of elite teams. We, we talked about Boston and Milwaukee. They're definitely top, the top of the East. I don't think anyone would disagree. I think Cleveland is probably the third best team in the East at this standpoint. And whereby we would typically pencil in, you know, Philadelphia or even, even a Miami team. I don't think we can do that based on where things sit right now. Until the Harden situation resolves itself, I can't sit here and say that the, the Philadelphia 76ers are poised to have a more promising season than the Bulls. It should. They should. If Harden can come back and they can resolve that or if they trade Harden and sort that out, then at that point, yeah, I think Philadelphia is better than Chicago. But right now, based on where their things are at, they've had a terrible offseason. They're in absolute shambles. So if someone wants to sit here and say, that the Bulls can can compete or be on the same level as the Sixers, I don't think that's a crazy thought. Similarly with Miami, they don't have Dame Lillard right now. And until they have Dame Lillard, they're a team that's missing two rotational guys from their starting unit. They didn't replace them. They have no real means to replace them now this late into the offseason. So if you want to tell me that the Bulls are on a similar tier to the Heat right now, I think that's fair as well. You know, expanding that list to the Hawks, to the Knicks, to the Pacers, the Magic, etc. Like, I think it's just a wide, wide field beyond those three teams at the top, Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland. So I'm not sitting here saying that I think the Bulls are, uh, you know, categorically better than the Knicks or the Hawks or the Pacers or the Magic, whatever it might be. You know, I think we could debate all that. But what I am saying is I think they are similarly tiered. So if you want to throw in six or seven teams into one giant tier or one giant bucket, whatever whatever it might be. I think all of those teams are fairly evenly grouped uh, right now. I think some have more scope to be better than others, but to suggest that you know the Knicks are meaningfully better than the Bulls right now, I, I don't think that's that's true. They might be better set up to uh, you know to to have an actual better record. They have might maybe more scope for it, but I I don't think it's insane to think that the Bulls could end up being you know, a better team than the Knicks or the Hawks or the Pacers or the Magic or whatever it might be, like I said. So I, the way I see the Eastern Conference, William, is that there's three teams that are clearly better and just, you know, six or seven teams that are in the same group. And ultimately, who gels the best, who has the less amount of injuries and who sorts out their shit the best, like that will be the team that will be the fourth or fifth team in, in the Eastern Conference. So I think it's a little bit problematic to have the mindset of like, all these teams are average and we're average. So maybe we're going to be ahead of some of these other average teams. Like, I I just, I think it's better to like try to improve yourself as much as possible rather than like bank on other teams, not improving at the same rate. Um, Because again, back to what you said earlier, like control what you can control. And I'm not saying that you feel that way, but I think the bulls have sort of operated that way. Um, But I do agree with your general premise here, which is that aside from Boston, Milwaukee, and so that, that I would say is like the first tier. And I would throw Cleveland, Philly, Miami, and probably the Knicks in there as well. Miami, you just have to like bake in some of the damn stuff. Like I think it's very possible that they could be in the play again and maybe even probable. But with Dame being like, I'm pretty much only want to go to Miami. I think you do have to, I think that's why the number I'll say is 48 and a half, um, which would be, uh, the fifth highest seed in the East um, Philly, same thing with Harden. Like they should be better. They could just completely implode, but so could the bulls. So I think their upside is much higher. And I think the bulls will be, you know, hopefully in that third tier of teams. So beyond the Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Philly, Miami, you have Knicks who I think are straddling that second and third tier. You could make an argument either way, but beyond them, you have the Hawks, who have some room for internal development. They've got 
uh, AJ Griffin. They've got Jalen Johnson. You've got Quinn Snyder now in the fold. Another year with DeJounte and Trey. Can they sort of figure something out? Maybe Onyeka Okongwu steps into a bigger role and, and produces. However, they were only 10 and 11 after Quinn Snyder took over. So it's not like they just became these world beaters. Um, I don't think they're a great team, but I think they're in that same tier as the Bulls. Uh, I'm very high on the Pacers. Pacers are uh, projected 38 and a half by DraftKings, mm-hmm. so a game more than the Bulls. Um, they were 28 and 28 when Halliburton played last year, 26 and 22 with both Halliburton and Miles Turner. They've added Jairus Walker in the draft, Bruce Brown, and then you've got a bunch of young guys that could take a step. Um, even the Magic, like they started five and 20, five and 20. And then they lost four of their final five games uh, when they were tanking. But aside from that, 28 and 24. They've also got Franz Wagner, Markel Fultz, Paolo Boncaro, Anthony Black, Wendell, all these guys that can still improve. I'm not sure that they're ready yet, but I do think they and the Pacers are kind of in this category of teams that could take a step forward and maybe one of them jumps the Bulls. Um, And then you've got the Nets and the Raptors who are kind of these wild cards. Raptors obviously lost Van Vliet with really no one to replace him except for Dennis Schroeder. Nets, um, I think, are one of the most overrated teams in the league right now. They were 13 and 15 after the trade deadline. Uh, yes, they made the playoffs last year. That team was not representative of who they are today. And I think that's very different than the Bulls' second half not being representative of who they are because that team is the same. Um, so I could see the Bulls being better than both those teams. I actually expect the Bulls to be better than both those teams. And then, of course, you've got the Pistons, Wizards, and Hornets who are just not even in that same they're probably going to be going for the bottom, I'll say. So I think they could end anywhere in that group. Would it surprise me if they were the best of those teams? No. Would it surprise me if they were the worst? Maybe a little bit, but not really. Um, but I do think that this general idea that the East is wide open, I think beyond the first and second tier, that is relatively true. And maybe the third, like being the best team of the third tier is like not that ambitious of a goal. But if that can get you into the playoffs and give you a chance to, you know, maybe play a Philadelphia team who's really in shambles or Miami team who's just completely out of gas from a deep uh, finals run last year. And, you know, maybe they don't get Damian, like something could happen, I think. And you're just kind of in position to take advantage of something. If somebody, if something goes wrong for somebody else. Yeah. All this is really is about opportunity. And when we say the East is wide open or when AK says wide open, it's, it's not to win the East. It's to be, the fifth best team in the East. So to your point, like that's not an ambitious goal, but for where the Bulls have been, that would be an achievement, I guess. We quoted at the top, we quoted what the winning percentages have been for this team over the last 5, 10, 15, 25 years. It hasn't been good. So for them to win 46 games, 47 games and be fourth or fifth in the East, like that would be almost bucking the trend of what this franchise has been for the last 25 years. So... Yeah, it's not ambitious to be a 46, 47 win team, but for this for this organization, for this franchise where it's where it's been, I think that would be somewhat of an achievement. So in reference to the East being wide open, the ability to be the fourth or fifth team in the East is probably a little bit easier this time around than maybe what it's been before. So I think, like I said, whilst we're talking ourselves into this bull season, whilst other teams, other podcasters for these other teams would be doing the same. It ultimately comes back to, like I said, health, injuries, who gels, who gets the shit together, and who takes advantage of this opportunity. I think we can talk ourselves into any of these teams being up or down. Obviously, this is a Bulls podcast, so we're going to be talking ourselves into it. 
But like like you noted, the Pacers have scope for improvement. The Magic have scope for improvement. So do the Hawks. Maybe they also have reasons as to why they'll fall down those standings. Time will tell, obviously, but my feeling is that there's just a wide group of, of teams in this Eastern Conference who are susceptible to going up the standings or coming down, and we'll see where it lands. So my read on what you just said is that the Bulls are going to make playoffs, forget the play-in, pack the UC, and wear a Bulls jersey or shirt on your way to the playoffs. And you can get one from FOCO. Get fitted out in the best sports gear around. They've got hoodies, shoes, signs, bobbleheads, and everything in between. Baseball season still underway. Cubbies on a roll. Make sure you get an Aloha shirt, straw hat, polo, a bag, anything you need for a game. Bears starting up next weekend. Get some gear. You're going to want it for the fall. Sweatshirts, anything you need, you can get it at FOCO. Check out FOCO.com or click the link in the description below. For all non-presale items, use the promo code CHGO for 10% off. And once you're done getting your sweet, sweet gear from FOCO, head over to our friends at Shady Rays who have got you covered with the best premium polarized shades in the business. They do it all at an affordable price. So if you want to support an independent company, an independent sunglasses company that offers you a world-class product that is just as good as those design brands, both from a durability standpoint, even more so from a durability standpoint, but certainly from a fashion sense, if you want to look just as good as those designer brands, do it all for an affordable price. Then head over to Shady Rays, who will hook you up also with their lost and broken replacement policy. So if you lose your sunnies, you break them, whatever it might be, no questions asked. Our friends at Shady Rays will hook you up with an extra pair. So friends, take it from us, but also take it from those 250,000 people online who have given Shady Shady Rays a five-star review. So exclusively for our listeners, if you wanted to jump on their website, ShadyRays.com, and use promo code CHGO, you will receive 50% off when you order two plus pairs of premium polarized sunnies. So try them out for yourself, William. Try them out for yourself, listeners, and be a Shady Rays customer. I got my Shady Rays here on my trip, and they have been amazing. Love Shady Rays. Shout out to Shady Rays, and shout out to the Shady Ray Dingo. Shout out to Lawrence. Um, we're, We're running low on time here. But I wanted to hit on something. There it is, the Shady Ray Dingo. Thank you, Joey. Um, I wanted to hit on one more thing that you sort of touched on earlier, which was this article from Jake Fisher saying that this could be like this iteration of the Bulls' last dance. Um, so in that article, which is just kind of a hilarious thing. Do you reckon, like, they'll get a t- do you reckon this team is going to get a 10-part documentary? Do you reckon? Uh, I reckon. I reckon. Um <laughs> Maybe it'll be a YouTube Gooch short, said, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> a TikTok. Vooch uh, said, quote, we know we can do better and we have to do better. We know it's kind of our last chance as this core of guys to do something. And I think he's right. Like, we've been optimistic here, and I think there are reasons to be optimistic. But how many more times can you go through this same dance, uh, understanding that Things are not getting better. They are actively getting worse. You are actively investing more money into a sinking ship. It just seems like their last chance. And to what you were saying earlier, like they have to recognize this and step up to the challenge. We've talked a lot about facing adversity and folding in the face of adversity as kind of a calling card of this group. Um, they got to turn that part around. I mean, there's there's really no other way to analyze that. Like they need to win. They obviously know that. He said that on, on record. Um, 
and it's not like a very obvious, I mean, it's, it's a very obvious thing. You got to perform better. Like they just, they have to. And I think there are reasons to believe they will. Yeah. And coming back to those clutch stats that we were referencing before. And like I said, how we would, you can rattle off examples as to where things, if one thing flips one way, maybe the result flips another way. This mentality thing, something that you can't really quantify, but we inherently know but from watching these games, that's what costs them a lot in these clutch situations. They'd either put them in those clutch situations because they didn't execute in the previous 90, 95 possessions or in those key clutch possessions. They just didn't execute then. Now, whether it's a scheme thing, whether it's a talent thing or whether it's just a mentality thing because they just weren't prepared to do what was necessary to win those games, you can argue you can argue any of those but maybe you know for certain scenarios each of those things is true but ultimately i think like that is the driver of their clutch record that mentality that that you know when things get tough this team has as you said had a propensity to sometimes fold and if this is the quote unquote last dance then uh you can't be doing that sort of stuff especially if you want to end end this thing on a, on a high note at least but uh time will tell Time will tell, indeed. I was thinking about maybe getting into some uh, some rumor milled, you know, stuff. No. Maybe we can say that for another time. Uh, we're trying to be optimistic here, so let's let's uh, let's wrap it up there. Mark, thank you for joining me on this Saturday morning of yours. You can follow Mark at MK Hoops on Twitter. I'm at Will underscore Gottlieb. We are at CHGO underscore Bulls. Joey. The, what did I say? The boy in the background. Thank you for hanging around with us. And the boy in the corner. Doing your thing in the back. Boy in the... <laughs> uh, well, Joey, we appreciate you as always, as you know. Um, and to our listeners, thank you. We appreciate all of you for joining. Hit the like on your way out. If you're watching the YouTube, hit us with some five-star ratings and reviews. Uh, wherever you can find your podcasts, if you're listening. And Mark, we will see you next week for another episode of CGO Bulls HQ. Thank you.